We are working through the one another passages. Last week we looked at greet one another. This morning we are going to consider the passage that teaches us that we are to welcome one another. And there is a difference. But let's begin by greeting one another, if you would. Thank you for your enthusiastic involvement in greeting one another. That's great. And today is Fellowship Sunday, which means immediately following the morning worship service, there will be an opportunity to stay and not only to greet one another, but to eat with one another and uh, get to know each other better. I hope that uh, you'll take advantage of that. If you've already had plans and you can't, uh, that is a monthly thing that we do, the second Sunday of each month. And uh, so put that on your calendar and uh, hope that you can make that a practice of being with us on the second Sunday of the month and stay for the fellowship time uh, together. As I said last week, we looked at a passage that taught us that we were to greet one another with a holy kiss. I said the emphasis is not on the kiss, but on the holiness. That uh, it was commonplace in the New Testament era to greet one another with a kiss, not just in the church, but uh, secondly as well. Uh, So that was not what was unique, but what was unique was that it would be a holy kiss, meaning that it would be sincere, that the the greeting would be without harm, without malice, uh, that there would be uh, an openness to one another. Today, we look at a verse that teaches us that we are to welcome one another. That's Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm going to take that verse and divide it into three parts. Welcome one another. And then uh, as Christ has welcomed you. And then thirdly, for the glory of God. Simple outline as we look at this simple but yet meaningful verse. So we begin by looking at the meaning of the exhortation. What does it mean when it says welcome one another? If you have a different translation, the NAS says accept one another. The King James says receive one another. Uh, The emphasis is that we would embrace one another in a deeper, fuller way. The greeting has the idea that we would be friendly. Friendly. The idea of welcoming one another is actually to befriend the individual. The one shows an openness, the other is the actual accomplishment of it. That we not only appear to be friendly, but we really want to be friends. We really want to be committed to one another. We do appreciate each other's presence and want to be involved in each other's lives. Romans 15.7 begins with the word therefore. It begins in that way for it is a culmination of all of the book of Romans. And uh, in particular, Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. If you go back to Romans 14, 1, it reads, For as one who is weak in faith, ESV, welcome him. Welcome him. So this is a bookend to the aspect of welcoming people into the life of of the church. Romans 14.1 gives us an important element to this understanding of what it means to welcome others, for it tells us who we are to welcome, and then tells us the manner in which we are to welcome them. First, who are we to welcome? Verse 1, it says, those who are weak 
in the faith, welcome him. I'll talk much more about what it means to be weak in the faith in just a moment, but uh, it's going to carry on into Romans chapter 15 that talks about the relationship then of Jew and Gentile as well. It means that we are to welcome those that are different from us. Uh, we live in a, a pretty uh, homogenic area. Uh, most of the people are pretty much like us, uh, but not so in uh, the Roman Empire. And there are more people moving into the area that we are becoming more diversified. We are becoming uh, different in dress, ethnicity, um, in many different ways. And the idea here is that we are to welcome those individuals who are different from ourselves. And then it gives us an example of what it means to welcome others in Romans 14.1. It says, but not to quarrel over opinions. Not to quarrel over opinions. We are to welcome others in such a way that we don't quibble over differing convictions. That we accept others in their convictions and beliefs. Two examples are given for us in the text. First is a quibbling over dietary laws. Look at Romans 14, 2 and 3. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. There was a lot of debate, especially among the Jew and Gentile, as to what was appropriate for the Christian to eat. The Jewish people had their hang-ups still with the law, still with the things that were clean and unclean. Then there was the whole issue of meat that was offered to idols. There were a lot of questions about the dietary law as to what should be kept in it, if anything at all. Then you had the Gentiles who knew nothing of the law, who never practiced any of those uh, eating habits. Everything was fair game. For them, they saw nothing wrong with eating virtually any kind of food. And they came together as believers. What were they to do? How were they to get along? How were they to fellowship with each other? Well, it says, welcome them, but not to quarrels over opinions. Don't welcome them, then sit down and just debate and find fault with one another over your convictions concerning the dietary law. The second was quibbling over the Sabbath and how it was to be observed. Notice verses 5 through 8. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God." It's saying that both are acting out of conviction, both are acting out of a desire to praise and honor God, but they act in quite different ways. One holds one day special, speaking of the Sabbath, while another views every day alike, that there's no difference, that the Sabbath day is just like any other day. Well, as you begin to think about those issues, they were pretty pretty significant. Uh, They were uh, quite weighty. But not only were they weighty and significant, if you think about the practicality of it, these were issues that weren't just ethereal. They weren't just academic. 
they weren't just something that people that were theologians liked to sit around and debate. They had issues for everyday life. Every time they sat down and ate together, whether it was formally or informally, you had the issue of what was going to be served. If there was a a love feast, just like at our fellowship meal, if we would have two factions of people, a group here that said, you know, uh, we really shouldn't be eating meat because usually it's offered idols, it doesn't have part of the the dietary laws. Other people say, uh, all we should be eating is vegetables. Other people say, well, there's nothing wrong with meat and I like meat, I've always eaten meat. And what do you do? Every time you get together, you have people that are differing opinions as to what should be eaten. About the Sabbath, every single Sabbath day, you are going to be faced with an issue of how far do you travel? What do you do? What kind of activities take place? What activities don't take place? And you see, you can have those things, an issue even uh, in uh, so many circumstances. I remember when I was a, a young person, I took over the uh, responsibility of the youth fellowship in my, in my church. And uh, I became a youth pastor, uh, and uh, among other things. And one of the first activities that I had was uh, we decided that we were going to paint the church bus. The church bus was just hideous. It was, it was pure rust. Uh, it was purchased for 35 bucks. So that gives you some idea. Uh, imagine what you can get for 35 bucks. So I thought, you know, painting the church bus would probably be a good service project for the, for the young people. And so we're going to paint the church bus. Well, we painted the church bus. I came to the elders meeting and I had my head handed to me, not because we painted the church bus and not because we painted the church bus poorly or not because we painted the church bus the wrong color, but I did it on a Sunday afternoon. They said, there are six days you can paint the church bus. Why did you paint the church bus on a Sunday? I hadn't given it much thought. It's a church I grew up in. I thought I knew it pretty well, but all of a sudden that became... An issue. We need to be aware, we need to be understanding that, that people get excited over these kinds of things. But it's easy to put it off. You know, it's, it's easy to think about other cultures and other times and say, wow, you know, certainly we are more mature than that. We wouldn't have those kind of problems. But there are other issues today of which good Christians don't agree. Okay? Music is one. Okay? What kind of music ought to be sung during a worship service? You'll get different opinions. What about educating your children? Homeschooling, Christian schools, public schools. Right? There are going to be people on all sides. Do you immunize your children or do you not immunize your children? What about when your children visit another family? Um, Maybe they are shown a movie that you wouldn't watch. Or maybe you would watch a movie that they wouldn't watch. And then all of a sudden you're involved in this situation. Well, what do I do and how do I relate and how do I talk to my children about this? And what do I do when I am encountering Christians who don't share all the same convictions that I share? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 
And Romans says that we are to welcome people who don't share all of our same convictions. And we're not to welcome them into quibbling and quarreling. In other words, we should welcome them without trying to make them look just like us. Not trying to force them to adopt our same convictions. But allowing them to operate under their own set of convictions as they seek to honor and glorify God. Now the same sentiment is given to us in Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. In this instance, the person who is weak in faith is an individual who is uncertain concerning what they believe. They are uncertain in their convictions. They are easily influenced by others. And because of that, they can easily be moved to violate their own conscience. Romans 14, 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Paul says, now when it comes to this meat issue, Paul said, I am thoroughly convinced that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Okay, That there's nothing wrong with eating meat. You're not going to be defiled by eating meat. He said, I'm fully persuaded of that. He taught that. Taught it in 1 Corinthians. When it came to the book of Galatians, that's a whole other story. It's interesting. It's a little different. There, Peter is caught up with the hypocrisy of not eating with the Gentiles. And Paul calls him on it and says, I withstood him to the face. And says that's wrong. But in Romans 14, 14, it says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So Peter, so Paul is saying here that he sees nothing wrong with, with eating meat. But he understands that there are people who think it's wrong to eat meat. That if Paul eats in front of them, they are going to go along with him. And they are going to eat the meat. Because if it's okay for the Apostle Paul, then it must be okay. But deep down inside, they don't feel comfortable with this at all. That is a person who is weak in their faith. They don't stand on their own convictions. But they are going to be swayed by the behaviors and the conduct of others. We need to be aware of that. How people will look at us and have a tendency to do what we do or find fault with what we find fault with and so doing, they violate their conscience. 
it is important that all of us have convictions in all the areas I already described. If you look at Romans 15, uh, excuse me, Romans 14, 5, it says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Now notice this next phrase. It's absolutely essential. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You have a responsibility. You have a God-given duty to search the scriptures and come to conclusions as a person, as the head of a family, as your Franschaft, how you are going to live your life. You ought to be fully convinced in any of those areas that, that I describe. You, you ought to know for yourself, looking at the scriptures, saying, this is what I believe, okay? For, for our family, I think we ought to homeschool. Another person says, I think we ought to be in a Christian school. Another says, I believe that our children should be in public school. Each person should be fully persuaded in their own mind. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Come to settled conclusions. But having come to those settled conclusions, now don't argue about them. Don't belittle people that don't share the same conclusion. Don't look at yourself and say that you are smarter, you are better, you are more devoted, you are more committed, whatever the case may be. In uh, Romans 14, 16, it says we need to understand what true righteousness consists of. So let not what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, those things are not what constitute righteousness. I did a whole series on Sunday night. What does righteousness look like? That's not the basis of righteousness. You aren't righteous because you eat or don't eat. You're not righteous because you homeschool, because you go to a Christian school, or you're in public school. That's not a matter of righteousness. Be fully convinced, but know the difference. Know what righteousness consists of. Know what the Word of God teaches, commands, of which there are non-negotiables. But know what are the negotiables. Know what righteousness consists of. Moving on to verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved to man. Okay, that should be our attitude. That person is acceptable to God. Therefore, because God accepts them, we ought to accept them. We ought to accept anyone whom God accepts. They are our brother or sister in Christ. If they are forgiven by God, then we must accept them. As I said, it moves then into the study of Jew and Gentile. Number two, the manner of the exhortation. 
We are to follow the example of the Lord Jesus in welcoming us into the fold. Notice Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome another, one another. Now these words, as Christ has welcomed you. As Christ has welcomed you. Christ has welcomed us in a pretty remarkable way. If you look at Romans 15, 3, it says this, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. On me. Key word here is reproach. We often think of the sins falling upon Christ. My sins fell upon Christ. He bore my sins. This is saying that my reproach, my disgrace, my shame fell upon Christ. Jesus. Okay? Jesus was shamed or disgraced in welcoming us because we're sinners. And he is not. If you remember that the Pharisees often found fault with Jesus, and in Matthew 9, verse 11, it says, The Pharisees saw this and they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why does Jesus associate himself with such people? Why would he be seen in their midst? Why would he sit down at table with them? Why would he be so close to them? Why would he rub shoulders with them? Why doesn't he separate himself from them? Why doesn't he refuse to eat with such people? Romans 15.1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. To please is to satisfy ourselves. Instead, we're to satisfy others for the express purpose of their benefit. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for their spiritual good, enrichment, building them up in the faith to make them stronger, more dedicated Christians, not to weaken them or discourage them or to despise them or to make them feel second class. If there was anyone who had a right to feel superior, it was Jesus. If there was anyone that had the right to separate himself from sinners, it was Jesus. And yet Jesus did not please himself, but associated himself with the disgraces that came with being around sinful people. Our reproaches fell on him. One of the reasons that sometimes we don't want to welcome certain people into our 
fear of friends or our family or whatever is because we don't want to be associated with their sinful lifestyle. We don't want to be identified with the kind of lifestyle that they live or have lived in the past. It can be difficult. Two thoughts in application. First, to welcome others means that we have to be open to change. With welcoming others, it always necessitates change. Think about it. When you welcome a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law into your family, your family's never the same. With that son-in-law, with that daughter-in-law, come different ideas, different backgrounds, different histories, different convictions, different allegiances. And then all of a sudden, things start new traditions. Birthdays aren't celebrated the same way. Vacations aren't entered into in the same way. You have a baby. Life changes after you have a baby. After you have a child. All of a sudden, you've got to start thinking about another person. All of a sudden, it affects your sleep patterns. Okay? Who's going to get up in the middle of the night and care for this baby? Starts affecting husband and wife relationships. Start affecting the budget. And, you know, how much are we going to spend for clothes? How much are we going to spend for formula? How much are we going to spend for this? How much are we going to spend for that? You welcome a baby into your family. It brings about changes. You welcome people into the church. The church is going to change. It's not going to look the same. Not everyone's going to have the same convictions. Not everyone's going to have the same behaviors. And the tendency is not to welcome them. Because you don't want to change. Because you're right. And they're wrong. You don't want to change. Because you have convictions. Christ became a servant to others. Look at Romans 15, 8. It's saying that we should welcome others the way that Christ has welcomed us. How did he welcome us? First, by being a servant. Romans 15, 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He became a servant to the circumcised. Rather than being worshipped, rather than being served, he served the Jewish people in all that he did. In relationship to the Gentiles, he was merciful. Verse 9, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So he demonstrated mercy to the Gentiles. To welcome others, it requires a servant attitude and it requires a merciful spirit. But I want to enter into, most importantly, the third element. Therefore, welcome another as Christ has welcomed you. Now these words, to the glory of God. For the glory of God. How does our welcoming others glorify God? I think in the whole passage, this is the most important element to understand. It must be understood, first of all, 
that the Jews thought that they were glorifying God by separating themselves from the Gentiles. Just as Christians today oftentimes think that they're glorifying God by separating themselves from other Christians. Glorifying God by not willing to fellowship with other Christians. They're taking a stand. They are living out their convictions. They are being strong in their faith. And they will not have anything to do with these compromising Christians over here that are going to live their life in a different way. And they think that in so doing, that they are showing ultimate commitment to Jesus Christ over all things to be honored and to be glorified. Paul says that you welcome one another to the honor and glory of God. And that it's not separating from others, but it's the welcoming others that bring honor and glory to God. That might be a new thought for you. Think about it. But you see, that was the problem. That, that was the historicity of this. The Phariseeism that so dominated New Testament Judaism that that Phariseeism tended to come into the church. That spirit of separation, that spirit of don't eat with these people, don't fellowship with these people, don't have anything to do with these people, that same attitude came into the church and Paul says, no, that's not how we glorify God. How is God glorified? First, God is glorified by the Jews accepting the Gentiles, for the acceptance demonstrates the truthfulness of God's word. Notice uh, Romans chapter 15. Let me uh, turn down quickly the, the text to read the context. Starting with verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written. Now there are three proof texts that are given to show that it was God's intention all along that the Jews and the Gentiles would fellowship together. Verse Uh, 9. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, notice this phrase, with his people. And again, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. The idea was that they were to come together as one people. Three different Old Testament quotations to demonstrate that they were not to separate from each other. They were to fellowship with each other. They were to come together. They were to welcome each other. 
You say, well, what does that have to do with us? Listen to the words of Revelation. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. We rejoice by saying God has redeemed the people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Every ethnic group, every color, every locale, every culture, God has redeemed people out of every one of them. And one day we're going to worship in heaven together. To the honor and glory of God. Well, until we get there, any one of those people ought to be welcomed into our midst. Any person who professes faith in Christ, no matter what their religious background, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their cultural baggage is, if they know Christ, we ought to welcome them and not just to quarreling and disputing and trying to make them just like us. But welcome them because they know the Lord Jesus is their Savior. And they are fulfilling God's purpose and will. I understand the pressures. I understand why it's normative in Christian circles to try to start churches of one ethnicity. You know, we'll we'll start a Spanish church among the Spanish people. We'll start a Romanian church among the Romanians and we'll, 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 we'll target certain groups and we'll minister to them. Well, that's okay and fine as far as it goes, but when you're in an area where there is a mixed culture, the church ought to reflect that. The church ought to welcome that. The church ought to have in its midst. If there are Hispanics in the community, there ought to be Hispanics in the church. If there are Chinese in the community, there ought to be Chinese in the church. If there are people of whatever background or culture They ought to be in the church. The biggest obstacle to that is our biases. What about the person who's saved out of a a life of homosexuality? Are they welcomed in the church? What's the fear? The reproaches of them will fall on us. The guilt by association. What might other people say and what might other people think? That was the biggest problem for the church at Rome. What would other people say and what would other people think if they are going to welcome the Gentiles into their church? What do other people think if they're going to have people in their midst who aren't celebrating the Sabbath? What are people going to think if we have something other than vegetables at our meal? 
What are people going to think about us? Are we willing to bear the reproaches of others? What are people going to think if someone comes into our midst and is welcomed who has a homosexual background? What are people going to think about us? What are Christians going to think about us? You know, there'd be a lot of Christians who would find fault with that. Are you willing to bear the reproach? Are you willing to bear the consequence? The book of Hebrews rejoices in the fact where it says of Jesus that he is not ashamed to call us brethren. That's amazing. Jesus is not ashamed of us. We shouldn't be ashamed of each other. We shouldn't be ashamed of each other's convictions. We shouldn't be ashamed of each other's practices. Each of us in our own mind ought to be fully persuaded on these things. We ought to know how we should live and then not judge or quarrel or fight over these issues. I'm not talking about things that are clearly sinful. I'm talking about preferences. I'm talking about traditions. And we need to be able to understand the difference. But we are to welcome other people. And if we welcome other people, it's going to bring changes. For the church at Rome, it meant that what they were serving to eat was going to look a little different. It meant that what was going to take place on the Sabbath day probably going to look a little different. The question is, is that a liability or praise? Is that dishonoring or is it glorifying to God? Is our ability to accept other people's preferences praiseworthy or not? But let's look at verse 13. God is glorified, for it demonstrates the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It is the Holy Spirit that is going to bring about change in the lives of others and in our own lives. And it is the Holy Spirit that is going to be honored and glorified as we conduct ourselves in a way that's different from our culture and our society. We are different from the world. We're hearing more and more in our country how we should not accept people from other countries and other cultures. The church is different from the world. 
One of the ways in which we can see the decline in spirituality, where we can see the moral decline in our country, is not simply in divorce rates, not simply in murders or in homosexuality, but where I see the moral decline at its, at its richest, at its deepest, is the way that people can't disagree without name-calling, without bitterness, without animosity. You can't have two people hold to different views without somebody just bambasting the other person. Our political system is a mess. All it is is people calling other people names. There is not an ability to sit down and rationally discuss opposing opinions on what is the best way to handle guns. What's the best way to handle the immorality in our country? What's the best way to handle the poverty situation, the injustices? There isn't an ability to sit down and dialogue. All there is is a recalcitrance of people that say, this is right, this is what I'm going to do, I'm not going to listen to anybody, I'm not going to fellowship with anybody that doesn't agree with me, I'm going to just fight to the end. And then everybody applauds that as that's the right thing to do. Hold to your opinion and fight to the end. When we were a more Christian nation, we had the ability to debate, to discuss. There used to be a time when high schools had debating teams to teach people how to present an argument in a lucid, rational, logical way. To try to convince someone of a position. That's what we need in the church. Not quarreling, not name-calling, not suspicion, but an opening of the Word of God and logically and rationally, by His Spirit, simply ask ourselves, what does it teach? And try to live consistency with it. Giving people opportunity to grow, to develop, mature. Praising God for changes that take place in people's lives and lifestyles. Knowing that we don't all come from the same upbringing, the same culture, same lifestyle, but rejoicing in what God has done in our lives. Welcoming one another. Much, much harder than greeting one another. Richer deeper, fuller. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to welcome one another, to really accept one another in the body of Christ. That if a person knows Lord Jesus as their Savior, though they may not have all the same convictions, though they might not have all the same traditions, oh Lord, help us to understand what true righteousness is, Lord, help us to be firm in our own thinking in these vital areas at the same time not to judge and not to condemn or find fault with others who see it differently. 
Help us to be able to dialogue, not by quibbling and not with fighting, but a wholesome interaction to the building up of one another. That together we want to be more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be able to have these discussions. Help us to be able to have these interactions. Help us to be able to question one another in the good sense of that word. May we so trust each other, may we so love each other, that we can approach one another in a godly way. And, O Lord, may we not be ashamed of our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we see them in a public setting, may we not shun them. May we not walk away from them. O Lord, may we be willing to invite them into our homes, interact with our families, be willing to be known as a church that welcomes people that others don't. Help us to be able to bear reproach for your glory and the work of the Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.